March 28th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin on Daf Samech Amud Aleph. If you count from the top, it's four lines down. And we're back to and continuing the conversation with regards to the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach. And if, and according to some there are, the additional, if there are and what they are, the additional Mitzvot B'nai Noach. So if you recall, we had in that Beraita, Bili Ezer Omer Af Al HaKilayim B'nai Noach, non-Jews, if they're following their mitzvot, are commanded within the domain of kilayim, crossbreeding. Now, we'll see in the Gemara, it's not the same way that you and I would be commanded. They don't have a prohibition of sha'atnez. They don't have a prohibition of seeding their field. What they will have a prohibition, and we'll read it in just a moment, is uh, crossbreeding animals and grafting trees one to the other. Says the Gemara, minaha What's your sourcing? What is the sourcing of Rabili Ezer? That B'nai Noach, we understand, we saw sourcing for Gilu Ayarayot, Shfukutamim, and all the other four. What about Kilayim? What's your sourcing for that? The pasuk which describes the mitzvot, which introduces the mitzvot of, or the isurim of kilayim, it begins with those words, So the pasuk begins with those words, My hukim, you should safeguard, you should follow, you should make certain to follow. Why does it start with such an interesting and almost out of place uh, description of following my commandments? Uh, you could start every mitzvah by stating it, the understanding in turn is of Rabili Ezer, Hukim Shehakakti Lecha Kebar. Hukim Shehakakti Lahakok means to chisel. So the understanding of this pasuk is it begins with that word, hukotai, to tell you this was a mandate, a command, a prohibition, which was already chiseled in. You, B'nai Israel, in this context, should follow that mitzvah. When was it already chiseled in? First time we're hearing about it in the Torah. You're supposed to understand from those words that B'nai Noah, before we received the Torah, we already had this as a reality. So again, it's a reference in the pasuk to B'nai Israel. You already had this. Make certain that you continue safeguarding it. And then the pasuk goes on, as I just read to you a moment ago, to elaborate, to elucidate, make clear what's a part of this kilayim. Now the understanding of the hachamim is not the same way that Yisrael has it as we have in the pasuk, but rather a little different. How so? We have to equate in some way the behemah, the prohibition with regards to crossbreeding animals, to the sadeh, the prohibition with regards to crossbreeding in your field. Now, if you read the pasuk in its most simple sense, the way it applies to B'nai Yisrael, well, the pasuk says you can't even cross seeds. You can't plant two seeds next to one another, bringing forth a mixed-up growth. But the pasuk in equating or in putting one next to the other, the behemah and the sadeh, gives us an understanding for B'nai Noach. For B'nai Noach, it's only if it's a direct placement one onto the other, as Rashi explains, which means to say in the behemah, the isur is that you brought one animal onto the other. That's the same thing by the trees. It's only if you grafted one tree into the other, not if you seeded the field. This is for Bnei Noah, not for Bnei Yisrael. Furthermore, we have another understanding with regards to putting these two laws next to one another. Again, the animal and the field, you see, when it comes to mitzvot when it comes to matters that are dependent upon the ground, we often, if not always, have the following question. Is this relevant in Israel or everywhere? 
and the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin, which Rashi quotes on Dafla Medzayin, distinguishes between ground and body mitzvot. If it's a mitzvah teluyah baguf, if it has to do with your body, it's relevant in any place and any time. The Gemara derives it from the prohibition of Avodah Zarah there on Dafla Medzayin. And in turn, well, now I understand this is a law which applies equally to your ground as it does to your animal. Your animal is not your ground. Your animal is bodily, is something that's attached to you, something that is your property. In turn, the understanding is the same way your animal, your mitzvot are relevant, are, are in place, both in Eretz Yisrael and even outside of Eretz Yisrael. So to this isur of kilayim, of grafting the trees one into the other, is applicable both in Eretz Yisrael and even in Hutzalah Does that mean that mitzvot that we perform outside of Eretz Yisrael are equivalent to the mitzvot we perform in Eretz Yisrael? Far from it, according to many, there's famous words of Ramban Nachmani in several places in which he talks about, and he lived up to his virtue on this matter in moving to Israel at the end of his life. He talks about the qualitative difference in a real sense, not just, you know, inspiration, make aliyah. In a qualitative, realistic sense, he understands mitzvot ha-tiluyot ba'aris, excuse me, mitzvot ha-guf as being altogether different when I'm in Israel and outside of Israel to the extent that in a, in a fascinating passage, he almost implies that the mitzvot we perform outside of Eretz Yisrael is a preparation for entrance into Eretz Yisrael, which is a scary thought for those, some of us, who are living our entire lives in Hotzalars to the extent that Ramban Nachmani in a famous explanation suggests that's why Yaakov Avinu was married to sisters outside of Eretz Yisrael. He had a different reality outside. When he makes his way in, God had his hand in it, but Rachel passes away before absolute entrance into the land. It's a qualitative difference for the person, but it's mitzvot atilyot baguf. It's, it's incumbent upon me, whether I'm in the Eretz Yisrael or even in Chutzalaret, but it's still different, suggests Ramban. But our, go ahead. No. No, this is Yaakov Avinu, it's Ramban Nachmani, indeed. Indeed, you'll have that on certain mitzvot atilyot ba'aret, Nathan. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what the Gemara says here. So said the Gemara moving ahead says, Wait a second, your reading, if I understood it properly, was that the Pasuk says, It began with those words and then told us about the mitzvah, the surah of Kilaim. But you started with those words at Hukotai Tishmoro, it made us understand, ooh, there's something about it, it was already commanded. What about this Pasuk, says the Gemara? Ushmartem et Hukotai vet Mishpatai. The Pasuk referring really to the entirety of the Torah says, you should fulfill my hukim and my mishpatim. <laughs> well, this is the entirety of the Torah. If you're telling me that when the Torah uses those words, well, it's a reference to something we were already commanded, meaning B'nai Noah have, and we're just now being a repeated commandment. Well, then that means all 613 mitzvot. The Pasuk is all encompassing over here. The Pasuk is saying, do all of the mitzvot, and it refers to it as Shemirat Hukim. Are you to tell me over here as well? Hukim Shehakakti Lecha Kevar? Are you really going to tell me? I mean, now listen, I know seven, maybe if we stretch it, eight, nine, ten mitzvot, B'nai Noah, a few others, but 613, then what's the difference between 
Minas in them. I mean, ultimately speaking, if you read this pasuk the way you read the last one, Rabbi Eliezer, I don't understand how we distinguish. It says the Gemara for Rabbi Eliezer, there's a nuanced difference. Look at the wording and the order of the wording. Whereas the initial pasuk that we were dealing with was et hukotai tishmoru. It first mentions hukotai. The understanding being this is already chiseled. And then I say, oh, and fulfill those. I mentioned to the chiseled in words, and then I say, fulfill those. Alternatively, the second pasuk says, fulfill the hukim. So to speak, fulfill thee what I'm about to chisel in. Do you understand the difference? It's a difference in the wording, in the order of the wording in the pasuk. Whereas the initial pasuk says, Hukotai, my laws, the ones that are chiseled in, Tishmoru, fulfill. They were already existent. The second one, referring to the entirety of the Torah, is you should do Shemira on the Hukim. Which Hukim? The one we're about to chisel in. Says the Gemara Hatam, that second pasuk, we switch the Tafat Shin in Aramaic, Sham, Ushmartem et you should do shemira on the hukim which I'm about to chisel in right now. Hacha here, meaning the pasuk that we began with in the context of kilaim et hukotai tishmoru. It first starts with the word hukim and then it has shemira hukim de meikara, the hukim of initial. In other words, the earlier hukim, the ones which were already existent. Tishmoru, you should fulfill. All right, that's what we have in the gemara with regards to kilaim. The opinion of Bili Ezer. We bring you back now to the Mishnah again. We didn't finish dealing and delineating all the laws and circumstances of the Mishnah. Yoshua ben Korha, if you recall the Mishnah had the statement of Yoshua ben Korha, that we were dealing, I know it's a long time ago, we had a long discussion of Misvot ben Enoach in the Mishnah, just a few dapim ago, we were talking about a person who's mekalel, a person who's megadef, and how we deal with it in the court proceedings. And Yoshua ben Korha said, it needs to be a circumstance where the person said something along the lines of Yake Yose et Yose or Yose Yake et Yose. And Yose, if you recall, was a kinui. It was, uh, instead of mentioning God's four-letter name, it used Yod Vav Samech Yod. Well, she explained what, what, what the, why, why using that word as opposed to other words, but that's what we're going to deal with now, the name with which a person who's Megadef, Mekalele Tashem, what name are they using with regards to that cursing of God? Ben Arbaotio. The statement here of Ravahabar Yaakov is that the Hiyuv, the Hiyuv Mitav, a person who's Megadef, a person who's Mekalel, is specifically, and again, Yevarech, I know it sounds like blessing, but that's a euphemism. We don't want to say Yekalel, we say Yevarech. It's only when that person uses the name of God of four letters. Which four letters? Well, there's several names of God which have four letters. Harambam mentions both Yodke Vavke and Alif Dalid Nun Yod. So it means either one of those. Others, Yad Raman, others say maybe it's only Yodke Vavke. But regardless, it's only when you use that name of God in the context of this curse that you're liable to this death penalty. This is coming to exclude if there were just two letters, or something along those lines. Question? No. So that's the, that's the statement here of Rav Ahabar Yaakov. Says the Gemara again, this comes to exclude in such a circumstance, person is not liable to death penalty. You shouldn't be cursing God in any way, shape, or form. However, However, death penalty is only when you have Yodke, Vavke, or Adni. Says Gemara Peshita. This is not a Hidush of Rav Ahabar Yaakov. Rav Ahabar Yaakov is an Emorah. He comes to explain something that we couldn't have picked up on in the Mishnah. But our Mishnah said, Yake Yose et Yose Tenan. Tenan means we learned in the Mishnah. Our Mishnah taught us already that the words need to be Yake Yose et Yose. If you recall, it's cursing God with God's name. And Yose is four letters. 
that's already a clear designation to us, reference that we're dealing with the four-letter name. Rav Ahaba Yaakov, you came to be Mahadesh, something I didn't know from the Mishnah. I learned the Mishnah. Once upon a time, they were proficient in the Mishnayot. They knew the Mishnayot by heart. Rav Ahaba Yaakov walks in, and what's he doing? He's just teaching the Mishnah, can't be. He's got to be telling us something more. Mahu de tema. Maybe you would have said, says the Gemara, milta be'al mahu denakat. Milta means a word, a matter. Maybe the Mishnah was just mentioning it, heck it. Didn't mean it literally, it meant you need to use God's name in cursing God's name. And what word did they use for his name? Yosef. Why Yosef? Don't read into it that it's the four letters. Don't read into it the gematria that Rashid did in the Mishnah for us. Heck it, they chose a name. No, says, says Rabbi Haba Yaakov, that's the Hidush. His Hidush is literal. It's got to be the four-letter name. If it's a two-letter name, if you truncate it in some way, you're not liable for death penalty. It says the Gemara, Ika de Amre, Yeshe Omrim, a little bit of a different version here, same, same rabbi, same statement, ultimately speaking, but a little nuanced difference. Amara Vahabar Yaakov, Shema' Mina, we can derive from our Mishnah, Shem ben Arba'ot Yot, Nameshemhu. Instead of saying, as opposed to the two-letter name, it's got to be a four-letter name, his statement was, in addition to the longer name, a four-letter name is sufficient. What's the longer name? Rashi says, the 42-letter name of God. What's the 42-letter name of God? The Gemara Masechet Kiddushin Adafayina Aleph, Amud Aleph talks about this, and Rashi, if I'm not mistaken, over there says, we have no idea, we don't know what the 42-letter name of God is, but that's Eishem HaMeforash. But the statement here of Rav Ahab Yaakov is certainly the 42-letter name, you're liable for that. But even the four-letter name, Yodke Vavke, Bam Adni, you're liable as well, says the What's that? But not the two as well. But again, instead of his statement coming to say not the two, his statement is even the four. And of course, by extension, not the two. That they shem arba'otiot nameshem, who says, Gemara Peshita. This is again simple. Rabbi Yaakov, I thought you were coming to tell me something I couldn't have picked up on my own in the Mishnah. I mean, I read the Mishnah. Yosef is four letters. Chalas. It's not 42 letters. What would you maybe have said again? The truth is, maybe the Mishnah was telling you until you have the great name, the 42-letter name. And the Mishnah again, maybe it's heke. I mean, a 42-letter name would be very, very hard to do. I mean, you'd have to be a whole page. It'd be several lines. And as a result, that's why the Mishnah says, Yosef, not to tell you even the four-letter name, but it would really need to be the, the Shem Rabbah, need to be the great 42-letter name, Kamash Ma'lan, the Hidush of Rabbah Yaakov, is death penalty liability is even in a circumstance of four-letter name, but again, not two-letter name, and certainly even the 42-letter name. All right, that's what we saw in the Mishnah. We continued in the Mishnah, if you recall. We were talking again about how to deal with the proceedings of a person who curses God. Curses God's name. And if you call, what happened, what would happen was we would have the Aedim initially walk in and they would be using that kinui the whole time. They'd be saying, We heard him say, Yake Yose et Yose. But then when they're actually getting down to Nigmar Hadin, the verdict, they're actually sitting down to determine this case and finish it, they would turn to the Gadol Shibahim, the, the greatest of the witnesses. They would have him, they would empty the room and they would have him speak exactly what he heard this person say. It's haram. We don't want to be cursing God. God's name, we don't mention his name, certainly not in vain, not in the circumstance of curse, but we need to finally hear it. And as he would do so, the Mishnah said, the Dayanim would stand up. Remember Stanley? Omdim Minalan, who said that they would stand up? Or rather, who said that they should stand up? The Mishnah is taking it for granted, they would stand up. For what reason? 
And we don't always stand up when we hear God's name. Now, the Gemara's suggestion is going to be that we stand up in critical moments of hearing God's name. That's what we're about to read about. But that's the punchline. The punchline is in a moment where it's very severe. So in our context, it's a moment in which God's name is mentioned uh, by cursing. That's where they would stand up. And another circumstance we're going to see over here, it's a different circumstance, but the Sad HaShaveh, the, the common denominator is serious, severe circumstances. You hear God's name in that circumstance, that's when you stand up. What's the other circumstance? What's your reference in the Pesukim? Amar Rabbi Yitzhak Bar says the pasuk Ehud ben Gera came to Eglon Melech Moav and he was sitting in a specific place. Ehud turns this king of Moav and he says to him, I have the word of Elohim of God for you. Immediately, as Ehud says that, Eglon Melech Moav gets up. Well, why is he getting up? Says the Gemara, I'll tell you why he's getting up. Let's derive logically from what Eglon did over there. This individual, he's a Moavi, he's from the nation of Moab. He's the king, he's a non Jew. I don't even know the four letter name of God. But Ehud comes in front of him. In a critical moment, he appears in front of the king and he says, I have the words of God for you. He stood up, even though he doesn't understand the nature of the true name of God. Even though Ehud doesn't speak it, he says Elohim, that's what we call a kinui. Yisrael, I'm dealing with Am Yisrael, a person from Yisrael, two people of Yisrael. And the name of God is being mentioned in a severe critical setting. Certainly, the Dayanim should be standing up in that moment. Again, by Ehud, it's not a curse of God. By the Dayanim, it is. By Ehud, it's Elohim. By the Dayanim, it's Elohim. However, by Ehud and Eglon Melech Moav, it's a Nochri. In a circumstance of critical mention of God's name, you stand up. Circumstance of critical mention of God's name, Shem HaMeforash, and Beitin of Dayanim, and so forth, we have them standing up as well. All right, so now you dealt with more of the details in the Mishnah. I have yet a few others, and that is as these Edim, or this Ed, this witness, the greatest of the witnesses, uh, would mention exactly what he heard from that blasphemer. He would repeat the words of the curse and the God's name in that context and says that the Dayanim would stand up and they would rip their clothing. They would rend their clothing. Who said? Who said you're supposed to rip your clothing in such a circumstance? I mean, I understand it's a critical, severe, scary situation, but who said there's a halakha to rip your clothing over there? Dikhtiv, says the Gemara, we can derive it from the following interesting pasuk. Says the Gemara, we can derive it from Vayavo Eliakim ben Hilkiyah, Asher al Habayit, Veshivna Sofer, Vioach ben Asaf, Amaskir, El Hiskiyah, Kiroe begadim. Describes the following. Rav Shakeh, who was the messenger, the emissary of Sanherev, Melech Bavel, uh, comes, to, uh, comes and, and, and transmits a message 
to, uh, to several important uh, Am Yisrael people. These people, as they hear the message, which is a terrible one, which the understanding of the Gemara, as Rashi quotes from the Hemshech of the Pesukim, even blasphemes God's name, this Rav Shakeh from Sanhedrin, curses God's name, they rip their clothing. They, in turn, this is important for the continued lines in the Gemara, go to Hiskiel, the king of Yisrael, to talk to him and explain what happened. Again, the chronology of events, although the Gemara only quotes one pasuk, Rashi fills it in with the other pasuk, goes as follows, this Rav Shakeh, who's the messenger for Sanhedrin, comes to these individuals who are mentioned in the pasuk, these individuals hear him using God's name and cursing it, they then go to the king, and the pasuk says their begadim, their clothing is already ripped, and they speak to the king. The next pasuk, which we'll read, is when they speak to the king Hiskiel, he rips his clothing as well. So that's the chronology of events. Says the Gemara, So they speak to Hiskiel, and as they're speaking to him, they already have ripped their clothing. Why they ripped their clothing? Clearly, they ripped their clothing because they heard God's name cursed, and as a result, they felt it and knew it appropriate and necessary to rip their clothing. That's the source of the Gemara. But wait, we have more details in the Mishnah. The Mishnah didn't just say that you rip your clothing. It was a kiri'ah mitahe, which means to say, or mitaha, which means to say there are different types of kiri'ot in halakha. Sometimes you can rip your clothing. Once upon a time when people had much less clothing, maybe even today when a person is impoverished, you might rip your clothing and then sew it up afterwards. It's a rarity, you're not really gonna, you know, when would we be ripping our clothing for the death of a person maybe upon uh, entering into the old city and seeing the hotel? How many other times are we actually ripping our clothing? But when you rip your clothing in many circumstances, you're allowed to be me'ahe, you're allowed to sew it up afterwards. It'll look very strange in today's day and age, especially the type of clothing we wear. However, there are circumstances where it's so severe, it's a kiri'ashe no mitahe, or she no mitahe, you're not allowed to. This is one of them. They had to rip their clothing. They're not allowed to then sew it back up to that severity. Leave it ripped up. Who told you? Maybe this is, yeah, you're supposed to tear your clothing, but you can fix it up afterwards. It's a critical, severe, terrible moment, but you can fix it up afterwards. It's a veritable gezerah shava. It's not an exact gezerah shava, many suggest, but you have the same word being mentioned in two places, and we have some sort of tradition to link the two. What are the two places? Well, one of them is One is those individuals who went in front of the king Hizkiyahu after hearing from Rav Shakeh, the curse of God, and their clothing was ripped up. Well, it doesn't mean that they didn't fix it afterwards, but we have another place that we link up with regards to the ripping, and over there we're going to suggest it was not to be sewed up. What's that? So this is a pasuk at the end of Eliyahu Hanavi's life. As Elisha observes Eliyahu ascending to the heavens, leaving this world as we know it and him, uh, Elisha, the pasuk says, starts exclaiming, Avi, Avi, Rechev Yisraelu Farashav. It's a description of Eliyahu, so to speak, as his father, the father of all. And he then rips his clothing, he rends his garment. Pasuk doesn't just say he rends his garment. It says, Vayikra'im lishnaim kira'im. He rips it into two rips. That's uh, a little redundant. Tell me he ripped it into two. Chalas, I got the vision. He rips it in half. 
mentioned that he rips it and causes it to be torn. I understand that as well. Why two torn pieces? There's a redundancy over here. The fact the Pasuk says he rips it, he tears it into two, do I not know that it's kiraim, that it's left as torn clothing, as two parts of a torn clothing? Why does the Pasuk almost in an unnecessary, redundant fashion repeat that it's torn? That's what the Pasuk is going out of its way to tell you. He ripped his clothing for eternal uh, remembrance, which means to say Elisha ripped his clothing and he was never going to repair it. The Gemara in turn says for us, we linked up these two Kiryat, our Kiryat and that Kiryat of Elisha, to say the same way over there, it was such a critical moment that he ripped it and was not going to repair it. So too over here, as the Dayanim, as the judges hear the name of God being cursed, albeit by a witness, they're not going to fix it at any point. No. No. Only when we have quote unquote a gezerah shava. That's the difficulty. I was I was alluding to that. That's the difficulty in the gemara because it's not clear. Tosafot, as a matter of fact, on the left hand side is a little bit difficult, uh, bothered by this because Tosafot has a different pasuk and katan and there's different limudim. It's not fully clear as to the limud. You have to understand it a as a tradition and they're just trying to find some way to support it, or b they have a tradition with regards to linking these as opposed to others. But no. Certainly not so. I mean, again, it's not very practical today. I don't think anyone is sewing it up afterwards, but it's not talakha in all circumstances. If you if you sewed it back up afterwards, oh, what are you going to use it for? You know, or throw it out. Yeah, I don't know. Tanur Rabbanan says the Gemara. We have a beraita that elaborates, or gives us further halachot with regards to the mekalel in this context of bedin, as we're dealing with the person who cursed God. Echad hayav Both the person who initially heard the person cursing, the blasphemer, as well as now, as it's repeated to someone else, the witnesses repeat it to the judges, both the judges and the initial circumstance, the witnesses, as they witnessed it, need to tear their clothing. Veha'edim, however, as the witnesses repeat it again to the judges, again, there's two stages over here, right? The initial hearing and observing of the witnesses as someone blasphemes God, as someone curses God, and then their repetition in the court, their initial hearing and and, and, and moment they're ripping their clothing. As they walk into the court and finally the Gadol Shebenehem repeats what he heard, the judges get ready and rip their clothing, but the witnesses don't rip, don't rip again. Why not? What's that? Uh, maybe you rip it again. I've heard, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of terrible things that can happen. If it happens again, you rip again. Why not? That's the point. New clothing, new ripping. Says the Gemara, how do I know? They're not Hayav. If they're not Hayav, it's Asur. It's going to be Baltashchit. Because they already ripped at the time that they heard. So that was your explanation, Charlie. Now my retort. Says the Gemara, Who cares? So they ripped already once? They tore their clothing once? Asma. They're hearing it again now. Uh, why shouldn't we be doing it again if it's as terrible and as uh, uh, horrible a circumstance? Absolutely. Nathan, always the halachic man. Indeed, but again, maybe they should be instructed twice. 
instructed in the moment of hearing initially, and as they repeat it and hear themselves, or the, young, the, the, the less great ones hear the one who's repeating it, they should be doing it again. Maybe they should be instructed. So the Gemara says, no, you remember our source for tearing the clothing? It was those several individuals who went to Hizkiyahu. Remember, they went to Hizkiyahu Amelech after having heard from that messenger of Samhira, from Rav Shakeh. And the Pasuk said they were Kiru'e Begadim. Says the Gemara, and what happens as they repeat it to Hizkiyahu? This should not arise in your mind to think that they repeat the, or, or rip again. Because the Pasuk says, as they come and repeat it to Hizkiyahu, the Pasuk says, as Hizkiyahu hears them, he rips his clothing. Wait a second, who ripped his clothing? Only Hizkiyahu. You mind saying that the Pasuk is only telling you about that part of the story. I'm saying that the Hachamim is it doesn't, it's telling you the whole story. Who rips the clothing in the moment as they repeat it? If they were repeating to, to rip their clothing, they might not be wearing ripped clothing. Maybe they should rip again, rip even more, says the Gemara. Clearly the circumstance is, um, who ripped? The one hearing it from them who were testifying, as opposed to they as they testified ripping again. It says, they're making, they're up to their final determination. As they're up to their final determination, they, they didn't allow the witnesses to use the words until the final moments. They wouldn't use the words, the name, the name of God until the final moment. We want to have full certainty and in a court of Jewish law, we want exactly what took place to be fully out on the table. We'd rather, and we are very careful and scrupulous about not mentioning it throughout. In the final moment, we want it to be mentioned and Yes, it's a little out of place, but it makes a point. It makes a point if me as the judge, who just acting as the judge in a lawful fashion over here, but I heard that, I tear, uh, makes a real, real mark. I mean, uh, you can plug it in, in in real life circumstances of other sorts where someone needs to make a point and from that statue where, so to speak, it's not really their place in this situation. They're really playing another role, but they stand out in order to make that point. That's really what happens over here. Says the Gemara, Amar Amar the initial statement here of Rabbi Yudan, the name of Shemuel, is if you hear the name of God mentioned, again, in the context of, 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 of cursing, from a non-Jew, you don't do a kiriyah, you only do it if you heard it from a Jew. That's his statement. Furthermore, before furthermore, the whole story. The story we were dealing with, the one story we have in Torah in which we were talking about tearing clothing. We have in the Torah, in Parashat Emor, and Megadif, but we don't have any tearing mentioned over there. Over here, this story, remember, the Rav Shakir, the messenger, the emissary of Sanhedrin, and they hear it, and the Kiru'i Begadim, Rav Shakir was the emissary, the messenger of Sanhedrin. We're not dealing with uh, a Jewish guy over here. Says the Gemara, what about him? He was a non-Jew, and they tore their clothing. Says the Gemara, no, Rav Shakeh Yisrael Mumar He was actually Jewish. He was from Am Yisrael. He was playing for the other side. He was playing with Sanhedrin, but ultimately speaking, he was not a non-Jew, and as a result, he defends himself, Rav Yehuda, in the name of Shemuel. Ve'amar Rav Yehuda, Shemuel, en kor'in ela al shem ha-miyuhad bilvad. 
Furthermore, it says Shim Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Shimuel. It says you only do a tearing if you hear Shem Hamiyuhad Yodke Vavke Adni. This comes to exclude Kinui. If you heard a name like Elokim, you wouldn't do a Kiriah. So those are the two statements of Rav Yehuda in the name of Shemuel. Again, only if it's from a Jew. And secondly, only if you heard what we call Shema Meforash, a four-letter name. Says the Gemara, Rebihiya disagrees with both of these statements. Tere means two. Both of these statements of Shemuel. How so? From one statement of Rebihiya, we can realize and understand he disagrees with both statements. He says the following, If a person hears the curse of God's name, in today's day and age, you don't tear your clothing. What? What happened? I mean, if it's the halakha, it's the halakha. Shim'iyata umer ken. If you don't say so, nitmale kol habeget kara'im. Your clothing will be constantly torn to shreds. One second. What's he talking about? So the, obviously the key words over here are bizman hazeh. In today's day and age, the understanding being, as Rashi explains, bizman hazeh, we no longer have a functional court. If we no longer have a functional Jewish court system in the traditional sense, it means people feel free to curse with God's name and or curse God's name itself. And as a result, we feel that we'll have, we do have more of an anarchy type of situation. We're not in as much control to the extent that this kiriyah, which is not a mitzvah from the Torah, this kiriyah, which we now understand very clearly is midrab banan, the rabbis are not suggesting, they're mandating, and they say, you shouldn't be doing so. That's the statement. Okay, let's take a step back and try to understand the statement of bihiyah. Listen, I've heard people who are critical, I've heard people who are cynical, but this is taking it to a whole new level. Your assumption is that me hanging out with our community, with other Jews, I'm going to be hearing God's name cursed so much to the extent that you say, don't even tear your garment any longer, because people are going to just be cursing it all the time. Really? Are you so suspicious of Am Yisrael, uh, Miman? Who's he talking about? From whom? Man, like Man de Amar, whom? Who do you hear from? Ilem Am Yisrael. Do you think that Bihya was talking about you heard it from Yisrael? Bizman don't bother ripping your clothing, because you're going to hear it so much. Mi pekire kulehai, pekire milashon hefker. Have we really descended? Do we really imagine Am Yisrael is getting to the point where everyone's just walking around cursing out God's name? Ela, rather, peshita me'ovet kochavim. And again, if Morris Bannon were here, he would say it's talking about non-Jews of that era. Decrepit, low-level, certainly in the eyes of the hachamim, and as a result, the vision is, yeah, they'll be cursing God all the time means already Rebihiyah is not talking about Yisrael, it's about Goyim. Now we're talking about Goyim. Now if, we've, if we've accepted that much, well, what name are the Goyim using? You think the Goyim? No? Yodke Vavke? Yeah, again, Morris would say, Goyim of that era. Today, I don't know, you got these witnesses and whatnot, and people know the name already. But the, the understanding of the Gemara is they don't know the name. They don't know the name we use. They don't know the true name of God. And as a result, says the Gemara, V'yishem ha-miyuhad mi-gimireh. And if we're talking about the Shema Miyuhad, as Shemuel told us, it must be, otherwise you're not tearing your clothing. Mi gemire, gemire milashon gemara, do they know it? Have they learned it? They don't know it. Clearly, Rabbi Hiyadan is disagreeing with both statements. Number one, you tear even if it's a non-Jew. And number two, you tear even if it's a kinui. It's another name. Elalav bekinui ushma'amina bizman hazehu delo ha'me'ikara hayav shema'amina. Although today we would not, although today the statement is we're not tearing any longer because you can have too many tears. You're not going to have any clothing. Once upon a time when you had a working court system, where you had one in which we had jurisdiction and control, you would be tearing 
both for a non-Jew and for a kinui, meaning not the Shem HaMeforash. That's the Gemara HaSheni Omer, Afani Kamo, if you recall, the end of the Mishnah said that the Gadol Shebenehem, the greatest of the witnesses, he would testify and use the name which was used. And then... The, the other two witnesses would say, and I heard the same thing as him. That was the end of the Mishnah. So the Gemara will go on to elaborate and understand. That's not generally speaking how it works in court. The Gemara already on Daf Kaftet already told us in our Masechet that each person needed to repeat exactly what they heard or saw. How come over here it's a little bit different? One person says, I heard the following at the end at Nigmar Hadin. Everyone says, and I as well. The Gemara will, as a result, understand the Halakha in a little bit of a broader sense. Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen.